Hi, I'm Sherry Todd, a former DJ, now a podcaster. Every week, I hope to take you on an adventure that informs, inspires, and starts conversations. I want to get honest, and I want to get to the heart of life and love. It's going to be good days, bad days, good shows, bad shows. And just like life, we have to figure it out. And I want to figure it out loud. Welcome to Sherapy. Welcome to Sherapy. I'm Sherry Todd. This is part two of an eight-part series on healing from child sexual abuse. Last week, I talked about the damage caused from the abuse and how recognizing the impact it has on you as an adult can help with healing. Now, on this episode, I'm going to talk about coping and what you did to survive, how you survived the trauma of being sexually abused, and how you cope today to help you make it through. Everyone copes differently, and as a young survivor, you might have had to run away from home or turn to drug or alcohol. You might find it difficult to admit to some of the things you had to do to stay alive as a child. You responded the best that you could, and you continue to do so. The crucial thing is that you survived. It's important to respect your resourcefulness. All of us use coping as a way to deal with overwhelming pain or stressful situations. And some of the ways you've coped with sexual abuse may have developed into strengths like being successful at work, becoming self-sufficient, or having a quick sense of humor. While others may have developed self-defeating patterns like drug or alcohol abuse, compulsive eating, cutting oneself, or emotional withdrawal. Healing helps you understand between the ways your coping is helpful and the ways it may be hurting you. Once you understand that, you can celebrate your strengths while you start to change the patterns that no longer help you. Here's some of the coping strategies that you may recognize in yourself. Denial. Denial is the most universal when incest is concerned. If I just ignore it, it will go away. And overlooking is pretending that whatever happened wasn't really that bad. It's like saying, my dad's a little pissed, when in fact he just smashed an armchair into the wall. Rationalizing is another way to cope. It's a way children explain away abuse. Oh, she couldn't help it. She was drunk. Four kids were just too much for her. No wonder she couldn't take care of me. Rationalizing protects the abuser and protects the survivor against the impact. Forgetting is one of the most common ways that children deal with sexual abuse. The human mind has a tremendous capacity to protect us from realities that are too painful for us to bear. Many children begin blocking out the abuse as it's happening. Some survivors remember the abuse, but forget the way they felt at the time presenting a facade to the world. One of the many ways survivors cope with realities they can't face is to cover their real feelings with an acceptable facade. On the surface, there's a little girl having a good childhood, but underneath, there's a child who's prone to nightmares and is wetting the bed. Many survivors continue this kind of pattern into adulthood. Humor is another way people use to cope. A tough sense of humor or sarcastic humor can get you through hard times. As long as you keep people laughing, you can maintain a certain distance. And as long as you keep laughing, you don't have to cry. Abused children who use dissociation as a coping method often disconnect from their body so they will not feel what is being done to them. 
When they experience something too painful to endure, children emotionally and physically separate from the experience. They cannot physically escape, so they leave their bodies through dissociation. While it's an excellent coping strategy for children, helping them to endure unbearable situations, it can create problems for adult survivors. Adult survivors sometimes use this method to space out and not be present whenever things get hard. When confronted with a stressful situation, an adult survivor may find an object in a room and stare at it, just as they did when they were being abused, and just space out. Now, those are some of the things some survivors did to cope with the abuse. Now, what about some of the things we did to protect ourselves? How about avoiding people? Survivors sometimes isolated themselves because they feel damaged, unlovable, and undeserving of kindness, love, and concern. Or they just never learned how to reach out and initiate a conversation or establish a connection with another person. The lack of such relationship leads to loneliness, alienation, and despair. Some people choose to avoid intimacy. If you don't let anyone get close, no one can hurt you. Some survivors go to great lengths to limit intimacy. Some survivors avoid intimacy, though they seem open and friendly on the surface, but are hiding real feelings inside. Some survivors avoid sex and go to great lengths to avoid sexual contact. Others numb their bodies so they can maintain control as another way to protect yourself. Control is a theme that runs through the lives of many survivors. Survivors often go to great lengths to keep their lives in order. For many survivors, this need for control extends to people as well. You may find it difficult to negotiate or compromise, and having an intense need for control can make it hard to see someone else's point of view. Accepting someone else's choices can feel extremely threatening. Creating chaos is something some abused children of alcoholics are often good at, both creating and resolving crisis, something they were forced to do. As an adult, you force people around you to drop what they're doing and respond to your latest crisis. This way you become the person calling the shots. We humans tend to gravitate toward what is comfortable, and it explains why more often than not you find survivors in the middle of chaos because it's what they are comfortable with. Others look for protection through safety at any price. One way to achieve control, or at least to attempt it, is to make choices that are secure and predictable. You'll take few risks and sacrifice opportunities for protection. Others seek safety through religion. Survivors sometimes seek safety and control in a belief system that has clearly defined rules and boundaries. Others find escape at any means, a way of protection. As a child, you might have made attempts to run away from home, or you might have escaped through sleep, books, or video games. Many adult survivors still read obsessively. Others spend most of their lives in front of the TV or a computer screen. Self-destructive behavior is another way you choose to protect yourself. Addictions are a common way to attempt to block out memories and the pain of sexual abuse. If there had been safe people to turn to, you might have been able to develop other ways to handle your grief, shame, and rage. But if you didn't get the support and protection you needed, you had to find a way to manage by yourself. So you may have turned to drugs, alcohol, or food to numb your feelings. 
You might have become addicted to dangerous situations. Sexual addiction is one way survivors cope. While some use coping by avoiding sex, others use sex to meet other needs, even ones that aren't sexual in nature. You have sex with strangers or have affairs that jeopardize a relationship that's important to you. Some survivors may have been addicted to pornography, phone sex, internet sex, or even sex that led to circumstances that are humiliating, violent, dangerous, or they may continue to be sexually abused or even sexually abuse others. Anorexia and bulimia are some ways girls use to cope. In a family where abuse is hidden and appearances are normal, anorexia or bulimia can sometimes be a cry for help. And for girls who have been pressured into sex they didn't want as children, growing into a woman's body can be terrifying. They think, if this can happen to me when I was a child, what will they do to me when I'm an actual woman? Anorexia or bulimia can be one way girls try to say no to try to stop their changing bodies and remain in control. To the other extreme, compulsive eating for many people is a way to suppress emotions and avoid feeling pain. In addition, some survivors believe that being large or overweight will keep them from having to deal with sexual advances. Some survivors control their experience of pain and feel instead of the abuser hurting them, they're going to hurt themselves. Self-humiliation is a coping behavior people use for many complex reasons, like to express anger and rage, and to show on the outside how much pain they're in on the inside. I know it's overwhelming to stop and think about all the ways you cope to survive. And though it may be painful, it's the first step in making positive changes. When we were children of sexual abuse, we didn't have any options. We did what we had to do to survive. Now with more resources, we can change self-destructive behavior and let go of coping patterns that no longer work for us. For each survivor, this journey will be unique and their own. Everyone starts with a different set of opportunities and limitations. There's a way to get by, and the starting point for everyone is to look at the ways you coped and to forgive yourself. You have no reason to be ashamed. You did the best you could as a child under impossible circumstances. You have earned the name Survivor, and now you are an adult with the power to make positive changes from a place of self-acceptance and self-love. And that brings us to this week's exercise about coping. Now, you've just heard the different ways to cope, and some of these you might have identified with. There may be others not mentioned that have been reoccurring issues in your life. This is an opportunity for you to write about your experience of coping, how you've coped in the past, how you're coping today, and how these choices have affected your life. Write with as much detail as you can and always from the perspective of honoring what you did. Now, I did this exercise and as part of my therapy, I'll share what I wrote. There are many ways that I coped as a child that I've carried over into my adulthood. As a child, one of the things I did to cope to survive was I hid a lot. I hid because I didn't want my abuser to find me because I was afraid if he found me, I'd be forced to have sex. I was afraid for my siblings to find out what was going on because I was afraid of what would happen, that I would lose my mother 
and I would lose my family. I became a bully because I couldn't control what was happening to me, but I could control my brothers and sisters until they figured out I was afraid of my stepdad and all they had to do was say, I'm telling dad, and that was enough for me to stop whatever I was doing and hide. I shut down. I had no emotions whatsoever. I stopped caring. It's almost like I just gave up at one point because I felt things were just so hopeless. I trusted no one. I only trusted animals. Animals love unconditionally. My animals loved me no matter how I felt or how I looked. My dogs protected me and made me feel safe. If it wasn't for the love of animals, I probably never would have known love as a child. To this day, animals are a big part of my life. I couldn't talk on the phone to people, let alone in person. I would not go up to strangers and ask for directions or ask a store employee where something was. And if I saw somebody that I knew, I would hide. Even though the abuse at this point had stopped, I had still developed this fear of people to protect myself. But because I was afraid, I would watch and study people, and I became good at assessing someone's character. I also started to overeat. Overeating made me feel better. The endorphins of eating sweets made me feel great. But I gained weight, and I found this was good because there was no positive attention drawn to me just the teasing and fat jokes. But I take the bullying and the negative attention over the good because somehow it felt familiar. It was how I felt on the inside, ugly and full of shame. How I look on the outside is how I felt on the inside. Today, I still overeat, more out of addiction and a way to cope with stress but I'm still learning and I'm learning how to love myself inside and out. So that's it. And this exercise had a revelation for me up until now. I thought I overate because it felt good and it helped with stress and has now become an addiction. But then I wrote that being fat felt comfortable and familiar and I felt ugly and full of shame inside and out. That was an Oprah moment for me, an aha moment. I never connected that how I was feeling on the inside was affecting how I looked on the outside. I really feel that this is the beginning of something. Everything I'm sharing is from this book, The Courage to Heal, written by Ellen Bass and Laura David. If you're still having a hard time dealing with your own sexual abuse or you know someone who has been abused and you just want to help and understand better, get this book. It's helping me and maybe it will help you or someone you know. I'm not a therapist or a psychiatrist, just a survivor who is sharing my journey, my therapy. Now in the next episode, part three of my eight-part series, Healing from Child Sexual Abuse, Now that you're starting to heal, it can bring up all sorts of feelings and emotions. Yes, sirree. So I'll talk about the survival skills that may help you deal with the journey of healing. Thank you for listening. And any comments, suggestions, recipes, anything, email me at podcast at sherapywithsherrytodd.com. Podcast at sherapywithsherrytodd.com. And don't forget to follow Sherapy on Facebook or Instagram. 
Have a great week and remember to always embrace your voice. See you, bye. You can find Sherapy with Sherry Todd in your iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or other favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.